Good morning, Peachtree. It is so good to be with you today and to be able to share the opportunity of our lives opening back up, of us getting to walk around um, in the glory and the freedom and the joy of hopefully what is coming a post-mask vaccinated new reality of us as a community. So thanks for being a part of this. Uh, we hope to see you in church. Um, we hope to continue being a part of this online fellowship and to be able to share God's word. Um, we know that you watch on your phones. We know that you watch on an iPad. We know that you watch uh, from the comfort of your home. And we know that whether that's on vacation or whether um, you are at your place where you normally dwell, we're just glad to get to be together and to share. And I'm excited uh, for today's message and the opportunity for us to get to share um, in a part of a journey together. I want to begin by telling you about a movie that I absolutely love. It's called The Way, and it stars uh, Martin Sheen, and he goes on an unlikely journey. His son, Daniel, is on a quest that's known as the Camino de Santiago. And on this quest that takes place all the way to the remains of St. James from the Bible, on this particular quest, sadly, up in the Pyrenees Mountain, Daniel, the son, dies. And so Martin Sheen has to go very early in the film to go to identify and to bring his son home. While he is there and his son's remains have been cremated, he decides to pick up the journey where his son left off. And so Martin Sheen makes some very unexpected friends and then he plays the role of somebody who is a lapsed or non-practicing Catholic, and he comes to the point of his own journey where he has to confront the reality of what he believes and what he doesn't believe and who he is in life and before God. You know, every single one of us, whether we recognize it or not, whether our stories are as dramatic as that story is, every single one of us is on a quest. We're on a journey. And as we've been talking about the everyday holy in this series, we come to the finale in this. We've talked about different things like art and wisdom and reflection and rhythms. And today we are going to talk about sacred journeys. We're going to talk about the invitation that God gives each and every one of us to go on a special quest to discover more of who he is. And I want to begin today in kind of an unusual place with the uh, great naturalist John Muir. John Muir, who was such a pioneer for kind of our national parks and our identity of the outdoors, he, he absolutely hated the word to hike. He hated that people would talk about hiking the mountains. He preferred the word saunter. And I did not know this, but the, the word saunter actually comes from two words that are kind of mashed up together. It's the word for saint and the word for land. It's actually the phrase holy land. The word to saunter means that intentional journey of heading towards a holy land with God. And so today I want to talk about how we might saunter towards the celestial city with almighty God. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to talk about three different questions. One, what is a pilgrimage? Two, why do you go on one? And three, how do you do it? And so regardless of your age and stage of life, let's talk about each of these different things. Let's begin by giving you kind of a biblical history of pilgrimage in under two minutes. Are you ready? 
Here we go. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. The Christian faith and the Jewish faith are rooted in God calling Abraham to leave, to go from his place, his father's household, to the land that God will show us. And so we have an adventurous faith. And then we discover that God's people are on this journey to this promised land, and even the slavery can't take them away from that. And so in Exodus, as they're liberated from their bondage and they're making their way back towards the promised land, that God identifies key festivals, three key festivals to symbolize their freedom and their identity as God's people to bring them back to their purpose with Almighty God. And while they are in that holy land, there are different opportunities for them to be able to sing and to celebrate together. And so the book of Psalms talks about the Psalms of Ascent moving upwards towards the city. So it says here, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so they would go on these quests, these journeys up to the city in order to be able to do pilgrimage before God. And this was even true when God's people were put in exile, that they longed and they wanted to come back to be able to come back to that. So the prophets would talk about things like Zechariah here says this, then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. So in spite of all of that different aspects of the journey of whether they were living at home or not, God was always calling them backward towards home. And then we even discover in the life of Jesus that this is true. And so Jesus's family, Luke chapter two, we see this. Every year, Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And that was not just true for Jesus's childhood. We see in John chapter five that this was true for Jesus as an adult. As it says here, sometimes later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And so over and over again, from the very beginning of what it means to be called to leave all the way to the lifetime of Jesus, there is a dimension of their spiritual practice that was about rekindling their love for God by going on a sacred journey. And if we want to be really literal with this calling, you can even still do this today. I mean, you can go on a trip to the Holy Land. And one of the the fascinating things that you can do in the Holy Land is what's known as the Gospel Trail or the Jesus Trail. You can actually hike from Nazareth. Jesus's hometown all the way down into Capernaum. It's about 40 miles, probably takes about four days in order to be able to do this journey. And the last time I was there with a group, I took this picture. This is a picture of um, the trailhead. If you were going to actually start at the Sea of Galilee and work your way up to Nazareth, this is where it begins. And so in the Holy Land itself, and I have discovered this firsthand, it's an incredible honor and privilege to get to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and our forefathers and foremothers in the faith. And one of the pinnacle moments of getting to do that is to go to this place, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is a church that's built around the ancient traditional sites of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This picture that I took itself is of the place where custom and tradition has it, that this is where the tomb of uh, the resurrection takes place. And so it's interesting. I actually didn't, you know, when I was going to go there myself, um, I was like, I'm interested in this. I'm a pastor. I love the history of this. I'm excited to go and check it out. And I was not prepared 
for what it was like to be turned into a pilgrimage. I was really thinking of it as more of a vacation. And I discovered that going to the Holy Land is anything but a vacation. And I'm not the only one who's discovered that. I read a small book by biblical theologian and scholar Tom Wright where he talked about, even though he had a PhD and he has written all these books, him going to the Holy Land for the first time and being in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in the place where Jesus was crucified. And so I want you to listen to this as Tom writes this in his own words. He says, As I thought and prayed in that spot a few yards from the place where Jesus died, I found that somehow, in a way that I still find difficult to describe, all the pain of the world seemed to be gathered there. So much pain, so many ugly memories, so much anger and frustration and bitterness and sheer human misery, and it was all somehow concentrated on that one spot. And then as I continued to reflect and pray, the hurts and the pains of my own life came up for review, and they all too seemed to gather together with clarity and force in that one place. It was a moment actually two or three hours of great intensity in which the presence of Jesus, the Messiah, at the place where the pain of the world was concentrated became more and more the central reality. And I emerged eventually into the bright sunlight out of that church, feeling as though I had been rinsed out spiritually and emotionally and understanding or at least glimpsing in a new way what it could mean to suppose that one in one act the one place at one time could somehow draw together all of the hopes and the fears of all of the years. I had become a pilgrim. The call to pilgrimage is still a key component of our spiritual practices. And listen, that is not confined to doing a trip to the Holy Land. We as Christians on the other side of the resurrection have to balance come and see where he lay with he is not here, he is risen. And so you and I have an opportunity to discover pilgrimage in a far wider span than those Jewish leaders and individuals who were making their pilgrimage to the temple year after year. And so we're gonna expand that a little bit today in our understanding by secondly, not just talking about what a pilgrimage is, but also talking about why you should go on one. In order to be able to explain that, I need to share with you why you shouldn't go on a pilgrimage, and I might step on a few toes with this. There is a book that I started to read years ago. I'll show it to you now. It's called Eat, Pray, Love by a woman by the name of Elizabeth Gilbert. In this book, which I did not finish, I couldn't believe it because she set out on a pilgrimage because she just couldn't stand her life. She didn't want to, she was not an abusive marriage or relationship, but she couldn't stand being married anymore. She didn't want to live in the nice house anymore. She didn't want to have a family anymore. And so she left. And she went on this journey to Italy and India and Indonesia. She went to these three different places to eat, to pray, and to love. Here's what pilgrimage is not, my friends. Pilgrimage is not escapism. Pilgrimage is not pulling the ripcord on your life so that you can escape and go somewhere and do something that you've always wanted to do. In fact, pilgrimage is not about yourself at all, 
my biggest beef and the reason I couldn't finish that book was that this was a new age form of spirituality and selfishness that was that put herself at the center of the universe. She even talks about how the only true divine is kind of found within. And we believe that God is out there and he is on the move and that he's given us an incredible adventure to follow. So it's, you don't go on a pilgrimage just because it's about you or me. We go on a pilgrimage to find the living and loving God. It's not escapism. You know, it's interesting, there's a writer by the name of Bruce Feiler who's famous for, you know, kind of a book called, you know, Walking Through the Bible, Following in the Footsteps of Abraham, all these different kind of pilgrimage type books. And um, one of the things that he discovered in his research is that if you look at Western Christianity, that you see that traditional Christian practice is actually on the decline. And yet the concept, and this is obviously pre-pandemic, is the concept of actually going on pilgrimage is on the rise. And so he wanted to dig into why that is, and this was his conclusion. He writes, so much of religion as it's been practiced for centuries has been largely passive. People receive a faith from their parents, they're herded into institutions, they have no role in choosing, they spend much of their spiritual lives sitting inactively in buildings and being lectured at from on high. Of course, that's not what I do. A pilgrimage reverses all of that. At its core, it's a gesture of action. In a world in which more and more things are artificial and ephemeral, a sacred journey gives the pilgrim the chance to experience something both physical and real. And it provides seekers with an opportunity that they have never have had to confront their doubts and decide for themselves what they really believe. As appealing as that destination may be, there's only one way to achieve it. Get up off your sofa and go. And so as we enter into the season of masks starting to going away and the freedom to be able to travel, one of the hopes that I have for you as you get ready to go on vacations and trips and to go out, I want to bring a little bit of pilgrimage into your concept of a vacation. Just as you can set aside time and money and resources and uh, a space to be able to give it to God, you can actually set aside part of your travels to Almighty God. This happened for Kelly and me. We were on a trip early on in our marriage, before we had kids, we were on a trip in France. Some of the best early advice that we got was when we were young and married to spend a disproportionate amount of your income on travel before you have a family. And so we were doing that. And the area that we were in was the wine country area of Burgundy. And we had some friends who just nagged us and said, oh my gosh, you're gonna be in Bone, you're gonna be in Burgundy. You have to do the hour long drive to go to the small town and village and monastery of Taze. And Kelly and I are kind of like, oh, we're pretty happy in the wine country. Don't know that we really want to make all of that effort, but our friends bugged us enough that we decided to go. Taze is a small village that has a monastery in it that was created after World War II. This monastery is a monastery of reconciliation. It's a monastery that's not limited to one aspect of the Christian faith. It's an ecumenical monastery that's meant to bring people together. And when Kelly and I pulled up in our small car, we were blown away by what we saw. Here we were as young adults, working in mostly established churches. And here were other young adults, thousands of them, living in tents with different tent poles, with different uh, flags for the different languages that people spoke. 
And all of them had come together as pilgrimage in order to sing, to pray, to worship, to be in fellowship, and to seek the unity and the fellowship of the world. It was a little glimpse of Pentecost, which we're celebrating today, of all these different tribes and languages and tongues coming together to worship Almighty God. And we were absolutely struck by what the worship was like coming into that place. Let me give you, instead of more of a description, let me give you a 90-second little glimpse of the music and some of the scenery of what happened when we went inside the monastery to sing. Imagine the haunting and beautiful nature of the simple chants that were over and over again in different languages of, of English and in Latin and French and Italian, these simple choruses that anybody could learn from all over the world. We were completely moved by the experience of being in a different kind of community. Here's my point as to why you go on a pilgrimage. The reason you go on a pilgrimage is because of the dislocation, the disruption of experiential learning, of being able to discover something about God that you maybe even knew intellectually but never really knew internally before. I could have told you before that moment that it was a global church and that people of all ages and all cultures come together to worship, but I hadn't really seen it like that. And that was part of the pilgrimage of that journey to France that have forever changed my perspective as a pastor and as a Christian. And so we know what a pilgrimage is. We know now why we do it. And the question is how? What kind of step can you take in going forward to an opening world about what you might be able to do? Well, I wanna make sure that I'm expanding the idea of a pilgrimage for you. I want you to understand that you can go to pilgrimage in a lot of different ways. 
Here's a church in Georgia. I don't mean Georgia the state. I mean Georgia the country. You can do something historical like this and go to a sacred place. You could do something that's local. Here's Georgia as we might know it. Imagine going to a lake house and taking time in a small country church. You can do pilgrimage in lots of different ways. You might also be able to do uh, pilgrimage out into the wilderness. I know for me, when I lived in California, every year on study leave, I would go up to the high Sierra mountains and I wouldn't hike. I would saunter through those mountains and reconnect with the Holy Spirit. I would backpack and walk through those magnificent cathedral rocks of, uh, of granite and, and just rediscover how big and how beautiful God really is. And so there are all these different dimensions of ways that you can go on pilgrimage. It can be historical, it can be local, it can be natural. But do you know what else is possible? You can go on a relational pilgrimage. Let me see if I can give you an example of that. There's a true story of a guy by the name of Alvin Strait, who decided as a World War II veteran, when he heard that his brother had suffered a stroke, that he was going to go and meet him. And so he packed up a trailer and hooked up his John Deere tractor. He was of a point in his age when his eyes were so bad that they weren't going to give him a driver's license and he couldn't get a bus or couldn't find another way of getting there. And so he drove all day and all night, five miles an hour, 240 miles, from a small town in Iowa to, believe it or not, Mount Zion, Wisconsin. And then when he pulled up all that time later, and he showed up at the front porch of his brother, his brother said, you came all this way in that for me? And Alvin said, I did. You and I have an opportunity an opportunity to seek the living God in all kinds of different ways. And I love the fact that we have a home church, that we have a home family. But there are times, not in a form of escapism, there are times when God is going to call you to step out of your comfort zone, to go on a quest, to seek him in a journey. It will be inconvenient. It will be uncomfortable. It might even be difficult. And as Martin Sheen's character in The Way showed, it might even be tragic. But what happens when we move out into the fringes and the frontiers of your life and mine is we discover the wildness and the wideness of a great God. And so as we enter into the summer, as things open up, as you start to have permission to travel again, to move again, don't ignore the ancient Christian and Jewish practice of pilgrimage and find God in ways you've never seen him before. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the privilege of what it means to go on sacred journeys, that you are not just housed in one particular location, but that you are out ahead of us and on the move, and you invite us to join you into the holy land that is this whole earth, this whole creation. Forgive us for hiking when we should saunter more. Help us to understand the, 
the call of, of discipleship always means to some degree to go. And so help us to reclaim a, a significant part of our heritage and practice to be able to follow you on all different kinds of trails. Thank you for the particularity of, of what it means to maybe even to go to the Holy Land itself. But also help us to expand that understanding of you, the resurrected Christ, or out in Pentecost beyond our wildest dreams. Lord, this is not a self-absorbed task. This is not just about getting to go on a trip or to see the world or to leave things behind. It's about learning who you are, worshiping you, discovering you in all kinds of different places. And so, Father, I pray. I pray that you will transform some vacations into pilgrimages and that you will enable us to find you on the go. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen, and amen.